Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Before we look at Jesus' prayer for his people out of John 17, I want to lead us in a pastoral prayer uh, for our church and our community. Uh, the pandemic is still very much raging. We have a number of people in our congregation that are currently infected uh, with the virus and are quite sick, so we want to pray for their healing. Uh, but I also want us to pray especially for Pastor Matt Cowan, who is the worship pastor at our sister congregation, Magnolia Bible Church, and uh, he is seriously ill with covid and a uh, wonderful, godly uh, worship leader and husband and father and uh, leader in that congregation that's so strategic in our community. And, and so we want to pray for all of those who are impacted by the pandemic. Uh, but after the, the most difficult year, perhaps, in, in our lifetime, on the heels of that year, then this week has... Uh, has to have been one of the most difficult weeks we've had in a very long time. Can I get an amen out of that? I mean, with uh, disrupted uh, electricity and water, and some of you, like us, had busted pipes and ceilings falling in and all that, that uh, kind of stuff. And so we want to pray for those who are still struggling. Uh, we need to pray for people who are uh, part of repair crews, who are working overtime and working hard and trying to get uh, the, the supplies they need to fix what needs to be fixed and, and all that. Uh, but uh, we just, we need to pray. And so would you allow me to lead us in a pastoral prayer? Pray with me, please. Father, I lead your people here in the worship center and your people who are worshiping with us online in this prayer this morning. For those who are struggling and suffering and ill in uh, the midst of this ongoing pandemic, we pray, Lord, that uh, in your perfect timing you would bring this to an end and that people who are sick would be well, and people who are grieving because they've lost loved ones would have the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and the, the overworked uh, medical workers could have some rest, and that people could be well, Lord, and somehow that people would seek you in the midst of, of all this. I pray especially for those in our congregation who are sick with the virus today. I pray that you would ease their pain and bring them health. Lord, I pray especially for Pastor Matt Cowan at Magnolia Bible Church, seriously ill. Lord, would you lift him up and heal him as he's taken that strategic position of spiritual leadership in that congregation that we love so much and in that place in our community, Lord, to help us reach the Magnolia community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you just uh, heal him and heal all those, Lord, who are suffering. And now, Lord, I pray for those who are still struggling with the aftermath of uh, the, the cold temperatures that we experienced in uh, an unprecedented way for our community. Lord, may those who still need repairs 
be able to have them done. May those who may not yet have electricity or water, Lord, may they be able to have that service restored. And somehow, Lord, would you bring them peace and comfort and encouragement in the midst of all this. Because even in the middle of all these troubles, you are still on the throne. Lord, you are still sovereign. You are still good and gracious and loving and merciful and kind. And we call on you today. I call on you on behalf of the Magnolia's first family, whom I love with all my heart, Lord, but you love them even more. Would you cover them today? And not just our members, but the extended families of our members and those who are connected in any way to our church and our entire community. Cover them with your mercy and grace today. We pray in the powerful name above every other name, the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Years ago, I came across this quote, and it struck me. Quote, sometimes the greatness of an individual is not fully realized until after their death. And I think for no one was that more true than Abraham Lincoln. I will never forget in the first visit that Cindy and I made to Washington, D.C., Uh, We were able to go to Ford's Theater, that tragic place where the assassin John Wilkes Booth shot President Lincoln as he sat there watching a theatrical production. And we went across the street to the Peterson House, where in a bedroom of that home, President Lincoln died upon uh, the bed of that that home. And as we look back on the life of Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, who is regarded by many, and I count myself in this number, regarded by many as the greatest president our nation has ever had. And yet, as we look back at the history of his life, when he was alive, Abraham Lincoln had some bitter enemies. Uh, Among them in his political career prior to the presidency was a man named Edwin Stanton. And Stanton had such disdain for Abraham Lincoln uh, that he would criticize him brutally in his public speeches. He would even call Lincoln names. At one point, he called Abraham Lincoln a fool in one of his speeches. And, And that was reported to Lincoln. And Lincoln's response to those who told him that said, quote, Did Stanton say that I was a fool? Then I dare say I must be one. For Stanton is generally right, and he always says what he means. (laughs) And what was more surprising was that after he was elected president, Abraham Lincoln appointed Edwin Stanton as his war minister to help him guide our nation through the bloodiest, most horrific war in its history. And when he made that appointment, his associates came to the president and said, President Lincoln, why would you nominate Edwin Stanton after all of the terrible things he said about you? And he said, why? 
because he's the best man for the job. And as they began to work together to lead our nation through that horrific season in its history, the disdain and and lack of esteem that Edwin Stanton had held for Abraham Lincoln melted away and in its place came admiration and respect for the great leader. And on the night that Abraham Lincoln lay on his deathbed at the Peterson house and he was surrounded by his associates in the leadership of our nation's government, among them was Edwin Stanton. And as he looked down upon the dying president, he said this, I quote, There lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. And I would agree with that statement with one exception. The greatest ruler is our Lord Jesus Christ. Our sermon series is Mission Redemption. And we're in John's Gospel. We come to John 17. And and as we arrive at John 17, Jesus knows that his death is just hours away. He has told his disciples that he'll be leaving and that the Holy Spirit would be coming. And so today and next week, we will look at the prayer that Jesus prayed just before his betrayal and arrest. And we will see what Jesus prayed for himself and what he prayed for his disciples And then ultimately, if you are a Christ follower, what he prayed for you. And you'll find it remarkable that he did not pray for you wealth or ease or comfort. But instead, he prayed for both his disciples and for us that in his physical absence, we would know his spiritual presence and that you would be protected. Not protected from the troubles of the world, he promised us those would come. But protected from spiritual corruption and unholiness from the world. And how would that happen? Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that you would be, as I've titled today's message, protected by the truth. So let me give you the physical setting so that you can imagine what is taking place. In John 17, as it begins, it is likely somewhere between midnight and dawn of the first Good Friday, the day of Jesus' crucifixion, between midnight and dawn. And Jesus and his disciples are making their way from the upper room somewhere in one of the suburbs of of Jerusalem through the city, and they're about to pass over the Kidron Valley. We see that in chapter 18, verse 1. So somewhere in route, they're going through the city, and Jesus stops at some point to offer a prayer to the Father. It perhaps took place at the temple as they walked through and during the season of Passover the temple would be brightly lighted with torches of flame in celebration of that great Jewish 
recognition. And as the chain of events that would quickly lead to the cross are about to be triggered by Jesus' betrayal in the garden and subsequent arrest, Jesus, before this takes place, stops to pray. He prays first for himself, then he prays for his disciples, And then we'll see, especially in next week's verses, verses 20 through 26, he prays for you. He prays that you would be protected from the enemy and from the sinful culture that would hate followers of Christ. And so I want this to seep deeply into our understanding Our big idea today is your only protection in a fallen world is the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. So go with me into the narrative of Jesus' prayer. John 17, we'll begin with verse 1. Follow along in your copy of the scripture. I hope that you brought it or that you have it there at home. But if not, follow along from the New Living Translation. John 17, verse 1. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. Now, no doubt the disciples who are still just not fully understanding what's taking place, and they understand Jesus is saying that he's going to die, and they they wonder when they hear Jesus pray, glorify your son, how is dying going to glorify Jesus? They haven't yet quite grasped that he must die to fulfill his mission to bring redemption. Redemption to condemned sinners like you and like me. Sinners who are guilty before a holy God because we are sinners both by nature and by choice, which condemns us in the presence of a righteous, holy God. We are condemned without hope, but his sinless death would pay the debt for us we could never pay so that all who would believe and receive could have the gift of eternal life by grace through faith. Jesus' prayer continues, verse 2, For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And how does that happen? Verse 3, And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, he says to the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. And so with that clarity about how one has eternal life only through knowing Jesus, I think it's important that I stop at this point in the message and ask you who are here in the worship center and you who are watching online or anyone watching later or listening to the podcast to ask you this question, do you know Jesus? 
I'm not asking you if you're a Baptist or a Catholic or a Methodist or whatever denominational label somebody might wear when we get to heaven. We won't even remember those labels. Do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Is he your Lord and master? That's the only thing that matters. That's why Jesus came to earth. That's why he died. His prayer continues, verse 4. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. In just hours, Jesus would hang on a cross. He would die. And for three days, he would lay in a borrowed tomb. But then on that glorious first Easter morning, he would be resurrected to life. And after a short time spent on earth in his resurrected body, he would ascend once again to heaven to be in the presence of the Father. So Jesus prays, verse 5, Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Scholars and Bible teachers for generations have debated the biblical doctrines of election and predestination. And it's still, that debate is going on uh, today. And, and they, they struggle with the, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And in my simple way of thinking, I think the basic problem is we're trying to understand God in earthly terms. What I'm saying is everything that we know in our existence is based on a chronological timeline. We live in time. Uh, the earth spinning and going around the sun and all that stuff. Everything is based on time. But our God is above and beyond time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we're trying to say, uh, you know, did God choose us, uh, you know, before the creation of the world? So did we, have a ch- did we really have a choice? And, and I just, you know, here's what I know. The Scripture says it's not God's will that any should perish. And that Jesus came so that the world might have salvation. So here's what I know. Anyone who is a Christ follower is not an accidental Christian. You were known by God before time began. You were called to faith. No one comes to faith without being called by the Father through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are given to the Lord Jesus. Do I fully understand that? No, neither do you, neither does anybody else. But we know it's true to the glory of God. Verse 7, Jesus prayed, Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message that you gave me. Don't let that escape your, your notice. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, 
and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Let those last words hang in your mind a little bit. So they bring me glory. Those whom God called, those who responded in faith, belong to the Heavenly Father. And Jesus said, they bring me glory. Though we are not sinless like Jesus, if we belong to Christ, if the Holy Spirit is at work in us in the process of sanctification, we should be becoming more and more like Jesus, and then he is glorified. So the question we ought to be asking ourselves as Christ followers every day, does my life bring him glory? Do the people who know me, do the people who look at our lives and listen to our words and hear our attitudes through what we say, do the people who watch us see Jesus, do we bring him glory? For just as Jesus' mission was to bring us redemption, this theme is throughout this series, our mission is to be his messenger and his ambassador. To be his messenger and his ambassador. Jesus said, I am leaving. The Holy Spirit is coming to work through you so that you might be my ambassador. Verse 11, now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Now, I just can't let this go by. Jesus' prayer for us was that we would be united. And can I tell you that the last year in the church has been the greatest year of disunity I can ever remember? It has been the most difficult year of ministry that I have ever experienced in more than 50 years of ministry. And every pastor in America will tell you that. It's been the toughest year to do ministry related to this issue of unity. Every pastor in America has had uh, criticism because of difficult decisions that had to be made for which there was no easy or one right answer. And every pastor in America has had to watch their church and listen to their church as some people in their church began to disagree with each other over this, over that. Wear a mask or don't wear a mask. Get the vaccine, don't get the vaccine. On and on and on. And sometimes, can I just be honest? Is it okay if I be honest with you all? Sometimes, as a shepherd of God's flock, and you hear all this, and you just want to say, stop it! Stop it! Do you not realize, and and if you've been a sweet, harmonious Christian during all this, just bear with me, all right? But people who who are yay at each other over nothings, 
Nothing. And you want to say, do you not realize what this is doing? Do you not understand that the enemy is just sitting back laughing? Because that is tarnishing the witness of God's church and the image of the gospel in a lost world. Over what? Wear a mask or don't wear a mask. Who cares? Do what you think is right, but don't criticize. I mean, we, we have Christians that are criticizing one another just because they disagree. And you want to say, do you not hear the prayer of Jesus? Are you not listening to the word of God? Do you not understand our mission? And how much more important the witness of the gospel is of whether or not we're right or wrong about something. What does that matter? The gospel matters. People's souls matter. The witness of the church matters. Jesus prayed, protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united. United. Verse 12. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. And that was Judas, of course. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was here with them in this world so that they would be filled with joy. I don't want you to miss that either. Can I just ask you something? How's your joy? How's your joy? I'm not asking about your happiness. Our happiness can be disrupted by a whole bunch of different stuff. Our happiness can get disrupted by our circumstances. Our happiness can get disrupted by a pandemic. Our happiness can get disrupted by not having any power and you don't have gas heat. Our happiness can get disrupted by busted pipes and falling ceilings and all that. Our happiness can get disrupted by our circumstances, but joy is different. Joy is not tied to our circumstances. Joy is rooted in our relationship with Jesus. So it doesn't matter if your ceiling's falling in. God is good. Like the old gospel song, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. The joy of the Lord is my strength. What gets you through a pandemic? What gets you through no heat and no water and and all that kind of stuff? The joy of the Lord. How's your joy? Jesus prayed that you'd have joy. That you'd have joy. i got to keep going. Verse 14. I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you, this this is such a great verse, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. 
there are some who think the answer to the Christian life is to seclude themselves and to, uh, some call it separation from the world. And, and I understand what they're saying, but Jesus says, I, I'm not praying that you be taken out of the world. Uh, I, I admire some things about the Amish, but I think they've missed it on this. It's not that we're supposed to be taken out of the world. We're supposed to be salt and light in the world. Jesus is saying, I'm not praying they'd be taken out of the world, insulated and removed from the world. I'm praying they would not be corrupted by the world. That the sinful culture would not corrupt them. That they would remember and live like they are citizens of heaven. Listen listen to this, verse 17. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. That our lives would be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the image of Jesus would emerge from the way that we speak and act and live. And everyone in our circle of contact and influence would see that there's something different. There's something supernatural about us that's not us. It's Him. Verse 19, And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. I'm going to take you, we're going to stop there in Jesus' prayer, and I'm going to take you to a passage of the Apostle Paul. One of the other pastors uh, preaching in Resonate a few weeks ago uh, read these verses and said, these are verses that Pastor Ed reads all the time. Well, he was right, because these are some of my life verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. In addition to Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, or Philippians 4, 6 and 7, those three passages are kind of my life verses. So I want to revisit these two verses, because I think they are so foundational for what we are all about. So look with me, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'll read these two verses, and then we're going to kind of dissect them a little bit. Paul said, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let me stop there and thinking. Jesus Jesus, as he was praying that prayer in John 17, was looking forward to the cross. Paul, here in Romans 12, is looking back at the cross. It's all about what Jesus did. Let them be these lives of ours, these bodies of ours, our very being, Paul means. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We ought to be stopping now, but I'm not going to stop. Is that okay with you? I got, I got some more that God's given me to say. 
Uh, Chuck Swindoll is one of my very favorite uh, preachers, and he said something years ago uh, that I want to share with you. Listen to this quote. If his word is not working in us in a life-changing way, the world will be. Make no mistake about it. Dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. So how do we apply what Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2? Let me break it down in our next steps to bring the message to a close. First of all, it means you deny self and yield your life to Christ. That first verse, give your bodies, and it doesn't just mean your physical body, it means your entire being. Give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Here's what Paul is saying. The victorious Christian life doesn't happen accidentally. It must be intentional. You can't just cruise through life and kind of hope it happens. The kind of transformation that God wants to do in our life only comes when we intentionally, daily, deny self and yield to Christ. Our sinful natures are stubborn. They will not voluntarily lay themselves down. We have to deny them. So you you must deny yourself and every day say, Lord, I'm yours. I don't belong to me. It's not about me. I belong to you. Yield yourself to Christ. Here's, Here's the second. You must reject the secular worldview and embrace a biblical ethic and lifestyle. Verse 2 begins, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. There is a distinct and growing divide over what the culture says is right and normal and acceptable and okay and even good. There is a distinct and growing divide between that and what the scripture says is true. And what the scripture says is true. And you have to be aware of that. You have to be aware of the corrupting influence of the culture. And the younger a person is, the stronger that, that ethical, spiritual, gravitational pull will be. Why is it, do you think, the younger generation doesn't have the kind of convictions we do about abortion? Because the gravitational pull of the culture is working every day to suck them in and to tell them that things like cohabitation and homosexuality and abortion and go on down the list, that those things are okay. That's the way of the world. But we must recognize that there's a difference between what the world says is right and what God's Word says is right. Here's number three. We must study the Scripture diligently for insight into how to live for Christ. 
Verse 2 goes on, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And can I just be this honest with you? You can't live according to Scripture if you don't know the Scripture. And Swindoll's quote about dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives is absolutely right. If the only time you read the Scripture is when you come to church, you will not be equipped to live for Christ. It'd be like not eating a meal. How many of us would go from Sunday to Sunday and not eat a meal? I obviously eat way too many. Because we're concerned about feeding our bodies, but we're not as concerned about feeding our minds and our spirits the truth of God. We must know the Scripture. Not just for Bible knowledge, so you can impress somebody with how much you know about the, uh, the Pentateuch or, you know, some Bible. No, about what the Bible says about how to live for Christ and what is right and what is true and what's not. Study the Scripture. One more. With all that, then, you govern your attitudes, actions, and words according to God's will and what will bring him glory. Verse 2 ends, Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I heard about a sister in Christ this week who one of her loved family members had, had not been treated as she should have been. And she said, I had things I wanted to say. I was so angry, but I didn't say them because it would not have brought glory to God. And I thought, she gets it. She gets it. We're not free to indulge our impulses and urges. We are free to glorify Jesus Christ. And sometimes that means we don't say everything that we think. But we govern our actions. We govern our words. Don't let this world corrupt you. And your only protection in a fallen world is the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for praying for us. As you were praying for your disciples, you were praying for us today as well. Lord, help us not to be unfaithful followers. Help us to take seriously what it means to be your messenger, to be your ambassador. Help us to look back on what you went through for us, how you gave your life on the cross of Calvary so that we might be redeemed by faith. Lord, help us not to be ungrateful, unfaithful followers, but instead help us to yield ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Word of God. May we not just give lip service to our belief in Scriptures. Help us to take it seriously and let it shape our lives by the leadership and power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and for dying for us and for giving us what we could never deserve, the gift of your grace and eternal life.
In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everybody.